Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we will catch up with a previous guest from this podcast, Dr. Sarah Bonner. Sarah is an award-winning former middle grades English language arts teacher of two decades and currently serves as an assistant professor in the Department of Early Childhood, Elementary, Middle, Literacy, and Special Education at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Sarah appeared on episodes 29 through 31 back in 2021, and at that time we discussed her teaching approaches centered around literacy, inquiry, and design. And then invite them to do some like some questioning, some research, some some layered on top of that, you know, invite people to come in, invite experts to come in and talk about this. The semi-structured protocol we used for this interview was designed by Mary Lusa and Emily Cruz, two of my honors college students at Columbus State University. Good to see you. It's good to see you. You're like in North Carolina now. What's that like? I know. Well, it's it's amazing to put away my snow shovel. I can tell you that. It's the one thing I haven't <laughs> missed about the Midwest. So I don't have to shovel the I weather I think I got here. made fun of by like local neighbors. Like, what's all those like snow scrapers in your van for? What do you guys do with those <laughs> things? <laughs> I haven't gotten rid of those yet. I still just in case because I I have a carport, not a garage. So sometimes I still have to contend with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, we we really appreciate your time. I'm going to spend the next three to four minutes catching up with her. Uh, I want to introduce my students, though. So I started working with our honors college at Columbus State yeah. um, this semester. And so these are two honors students um, that are also employees of mine with our emerging scholars program. So we're doing research and uh, advocacy around book banning and why it's dumb and things like that. So dumb. Yeah. Isn't Gearhart the best, though? Yeah, so lucky. <laughs> oh, I'm um, so happy you get to work with him. Um, I want to introduce them, though. So Emily is a biology major, and although the connections may not be obvious, she's very passionate about this project, um, and she's excited. Well, you tell her why you joined the project. I don't want to speak for you, Emily. Yes, I well, I've definitely grown up, and my mom is a big book reader, and... I mean, high school, high school's high school, let's just be honest. It's it's insane. It's crazy. And there are a lot of books that you couldn't read um, in school, too. It just, it it was very troublesome and angered me. So when Dr. Gearhart came along and was like, found my passion. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mary's one of my elementary education majors, but I'll let her introduce herself, too. Hi, I'm Mary. Uh, like you said, I'm an elementary education major. I went into this because as I'm as I've swapped into elementary ed- education and seeing how much of a problem it is, like obviously I knew the problem of book banning, but now you know when we're in these classes and you're learning about what's going on, legislations and everything that's going on in like Florida, for instance, you're you're learning about uh, a lot of what's being shielded from these kids. In spring 2023. Sarah resigned from her teaching position with her school district in central Illinois due to unrest from a vocal minority over her inclusion of This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson in a curated collection of books for her students on a day dedicated to reading and exploration. On this episode, we will hear Sarah's story, and unlike most weekly releases on this podcast, we will present our conversation with Sarah in its entirety with only minor edits. Do I want to preface by saying so? The, I think I we texted a bit over the summer about it that I was completely unaware 
of everything that you had gone through at the time you were going through it. I was texting with Robin, who, to give y'all preface, that that was our shared dissertation chair. We had the exact same dissertation committee members, so we worked with a lot of the same people at Illinois State. She's our dissertation mom, and we're siblings. I literally was just texting with her like an hour ago. Um, (laughs) So... I I don't even remember what we were talking. I think it was something to do with a book that I'm editing. And I was like, hey, can you pass a thing along to people that might be interested? And she's like, hey, do you know Sarah graduated and defended? And I was like, yeah, I'm really happy for her. I heard she's moving to North Carolina. And she's like, yeah, after everything she went through, I'm really glad, you know, light on the other, something like that light on the other side. And I was like, what do you mean? I had no idea. And she said, just Google Sarah's name. And I did. And that's where I became informed. So again, I apologize that I wasn't there for you synchronously because I had no, you know, we get busy. We have kids. Oh my gosh. This happens. But with that said, I do think it's important, not that your story wasn't out there, but I like some of the news stories of it. I read knowing the type of teaching you were doing, it gave me context for like, well, people clearly didn't understand the whole point of what she was doing in the first place. And you talked about that when you were on the podcast before. So before they get into asking the questions that they designed, could you give us like the two to four minute version of what happened in the spring semester? Just so we have it on the audio, I'll probably put it at the beginning of whatever it is we put together from this. Sure, absolutely. Um, so every Monday in my I, prior to coming out to North Carolina, I taught for a uh, small rural district in Illinois, um, which was a predominantly white space with eighth grade language arts. I was the eighth grade language arts teacher in my building, um, among other things that we did in, in terms of infusing literature and inquiry and all these really magical things that we did. Genius hour was a, a big part of our classroom culture. One of the things that we did every Monday was something called reading Monday. And it was just simply based around, um, choice reading. And this is where we got to talk about books. We get to talk about texts every once in a while, we would throw in days where Monday could be uh, documentaries and podcasts. I mean, it was just very um, choice driven. It was very individualized. It was just really a, a moment to pause and celebrate ourselves as, as readers and just kind of ignite that love of reading again among my middle schoolers by, by providing them just time. And this particular Reading Monday, um, I usually had a, a cycle of students do book talks. And that particular Monday in March, uh, all of my students had presented at that point. We were getting ready to turn over the, the quarter. So a new round uh, would have started. But we just had that one Monday where, um, you know, like I decided to step in and, and share some things. So what I decided to do that day is actually a NCTE or a National Council Teachers of English kind of strategy of like book tasting. They had been working on uh, an inquiry unit at the time where they were looking at um, influential art and protest art as a form of activism and working with the Chicago Art Institute at the time by creating these things. So they had some things in their mind because the next unit they were rolling into was um, taking action on what they'd stand up for. So, you know, for example, I had a group create a piece talking about speaking out about climate change. And so, you know, the next part of that unit would have been doing something solution based in an inquiry framework to think through, like, how can I take action in my community regarding this this thing I want to stand up for, this thing I want to protest. Keeping those interests in mind and then keeping um, 
just, you know, their their interest in mind, keeping things like the American Library Association, NCTE, even communities like Goodreads. I, I cultivated probably a, a, a good hundred books to bring in that day to just have them have a choice. I had gone to, uh, I don't live, I didn't live in the town that I taught in. So I went to, to the, the bigger town where I lived to their public library, brought in some books, had my own library, you know, classroom library, had these books come in one particular book because I did have some students, um, do some activism around LGBTQ plus rights was this book is gay by Juno Dawson. Um, on a Monday, we had a chance to kind of go through this book tasting and kind of celebrate these different choices and books and things. Uh, by Wednesday, I had received notice that a parent had contacted the local conservative radio station with pictures from this book saying that I was teaching these explicit um, sexual-oriented ideas in my classroom. Um, and then by Friday, I was called into a fact-finding meeting with my administration and union representation um, to where I had provided evidence of just this was not a required reading. This was a choice reading. And the groups and things I rattled off before, why that supports bringing in a book like that. Um, and then by Friday afternoon, I had received a phone call from the regional union rep that said that the parents that had contacted the radio station had moved forward with filing a police report against me for child endangerment. Um, so it was at that point when I had been heard that this police report had been filed that I drove home. And, you know, thankfully, I, I live with a very supportive partner. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, you can't. You can't go back. And we both decided that I, I just I couldn't go back to being the teacher that I am in that space. And so then that Saturday morning, my I have a I have an 11 year old son and my and my husband, we the three of us went to my classroom and packed up 20 years of my life. And um, I didn't go back. And the following week, the board um, approved seven to zero my settlement and they cashed out my contract and I walked away, leaving leaving the kids behind the entire fourth quarter. Um, not because I wanted to, but because I needed to preserve what I, who I am as a teacher. Um, and I wasn't going to let them, you know, take that away from me as I had been placed on paid administrative leave at the time. But when knowing that that police report was there, um, that was kind of that that over the edge right. that kind of sealed that deal of, of my decision making. And to kind of expound upon that, you're an educator that is also a teacher educator. You had been for years at Illinois State before you moved to UNC Wilmington. You are an award winning educator through NCTE. You are a published book author as well as. You know, we wrote stuff together at one point, uh, some of it about this inquiry based teaching and learning that you've spoken about. So you were coming from a very well informed pedagogical place. And I want to make that clear for anyone who's hearing this. So. Based on what you already said, you're I mean, your learning environment, your teaching is very culturally open. And I just wanted to hear more about your um, 
your ideal learning environment based off of today's youth and but more in the perspective of literature because you are ELA. Right. Yeah. Um, Emily, one of the big things that I talk about, especially with my, um, you know, pre-service teachers that I work with, if we aren't doing meaningful and important things with kids in the classroom today, then what are we doing with their time? Um, to me, I've been witnessing a lot of, I've been supervising a lot in the field that revolves so much around IXL or study sync or, you know, whatever fill in the blank can curriculum that you can put out there. Um, and it's very distant from being relevant to our students today. To me, I feel literature, especially in language arts can afford those really important conversations and, and more importantly, invite those curiosities to kids that, that get them plugged into the world that they're trying to read today. They're, they're trying to figure it out. And if we aren't doing things that allow them to ask their questions and use their voice in a, in a brave and safe space of our classrooms, you know, how are we expected for them to move forward as adults in, in this world? Um, and, and so a lot of the work that I do, you know, is, is, framed in that mindset, right? Like I want to be sure that what I'm designing, what I'm doing with students matters. It's, mm -hmm. it's engaging to them and not, not just engaging in the fact that, um, I'm not talking about the engagement that's fun. I'm talking about the engagement that, that matters to who it's going to be or, and, and their identities and how they're, they're thinking about themselves and their, and their place in their communities and, and even in the bigger picture of the world. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be able to do that with short stories from Common Lit, right? Like I've got to be able to know my students well enough to design meaningful work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of teachers now that, you know, it's based off curriculum and things that are given to them. So that's very important. And I like that. I really do. We need more of that. Yeah. Um, but based off of the article and ed review, I mean, ed week review, mm -hmm. um, you stated that you lived in a conservative small town. And I was wondering if that really had to do, if you believe it had to do with the reaction, um, and the opinions that came with it, the negative response with your situation. I mean, do you think it would happen? I mean, say in Georgia in a popular town, or you just think it was like a conservative town? I think what's really interesting, I, I think this kind of nods to um, how we think about media, because had I not had this experience, you know, I've been ta talking about critical media literacy with kids for years now. But when you have to live through it and then you see how media writes about your stories, it changes your perspective quite a bit, because what you don't know in that in that article that was um, derived, you don't know that, um, you know, all the stuff I did before that, that, you know, if these conservative parents were really um, going for, for my work, like they would have done it back in late August. Like I, I've, I've been in getting in that good trouble <laughs> for, for quite some time. And <laughs> the fact that it was just a book that I had as a choice, that would just happen to be a part of a collection of a hundred other books. And this is what you're upset about. I think it just, it was a perfect storm of the, the culture clash that's happening um, in our society right now. And um, I think the particular parents that are, you know, nestled in this space and that wanted to see this happen, I think that they'd had their eye on me for a while. 
But I what what Edweek doesn't tell you is that for these few parents that spoke out in this negative way, I mean, the board meeting the following meet week, I mean, was completely filled in support of me. Like they don't talk about those things, right? Like I think in lots of ways, the community wants to have this stuff happen. They support this stuff. And because I, I also believe in transparency too, you know, I'm not doing these, these units and these moments of study without acknowledging that, that parents deserve a seat at the table at these conversations with their kids. They deserve a chance. And, um, you know, and I think that's that's how I've always been able to do this work because I've been transparent, because I've offered alternatives, because I've allowed them to have some position in this work that it, it's been able to, to thrive. Um, but I, like I said, I think it would just happen to be that kind of perfect storm of we're seeing we're you know everything we're reading in the news, everything we're seeing, um, you know, Mary, you had mentioned Florida, like where you're seeing all these things and and then those defenses keep coming up. And I, I think I was just. The right there at the right time. Yeah. yeah, media has definitely been a repetitive issue, I've been saying, um, especially with Scott Stewart, who we interviewed last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a problem, but a blessing in some way for mm-hmm. some. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hello. So one of my questions that I have formed is uh, in your article on the Edweek Review, you also mentioned that you like to stitch a fantasy and poems a lot to leave that apolitical stance in your classroom. Since this incident, do you believe that you would have done anything differently, such as leaving this book out or using a similar one with a subtle title? Or do you think that you would have stayed on this decision to leave, put that book in your classroom? You know, Mary, that question has played in my mind um, quite often because I think about um, I no longer have social media, uh, the death threats that I received, the death threats that my family has received, the, um, the, the, the toll it took on my mental health in terms of the name calling and the, the real nasty, dark corners of social media and where this, where this story goes. And, um, you know, I've, I've had to unplug and, and step back and, um, but, but at the same time, you know, that is minor, I feel, compared to the idea I would do it over again because what I don't want to do is I don't want to erase my students. I will, I will always provide for my students. And it doesn't mean that I have to agree with you all the time. It doesn't mean that um, I, I don't have to support what you're doing, but what I can do is see you as a human and I can I can provide that context for you the best way that I possibly can. And, you know, and, and reflecting on myself personally, of course, I would absolutely support <laughs> my, my students in this community. And I would, uh, you know, I, I I was I was one of the only safe rooms in my school, which was a big concern in the talk of the following week at the board meeting. Like now, where are our students going to go? Right. Um, and, and that really didn't really resonate with me. I didn't realize I was one of the only classrooms that had that safe space. It's one of those things that I thought as teachers, we should be, all be having safe spaces. Um, and so that was, that was a revelation in that fact. And, and it, 
it drove me to speak out to I, one of the first contacts I made was to glad, like, how can I talk about this? Because I don't want teachers to live in fear that we can't have these books available to kids. The books can save lives. All of us on this call know this, right? Like they have the potential to um, really speak to students when, when maybe others can't. And I, I will never be a part of that erasure. I will never be a part of uh, minimizing that community. I, I would make that choice a hundred times over again um, because I, I have family. I have friends. I am an ally. How can I sit here and say, oh, I need to take that back. I shouldn't have done that when I am those things, right? I am family. I am friends. I am an ally. So I, you know, it, it, it stung, you know, it stung in terms of, you know, hearing the, the name calling and, and what I had to kind of give up because of that, but um, no regrets. And I would do it again. I told you she was good. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate that you went through that, but I, I love that you are able to be an example for those that are trying to create a safe space in their classrooms. Yeah. It's really inspiring. Yeah. I have a follow up to that, if you don't yeah. mind, before we get to the next one. I think, Emily, your question's next. So you talked a bit about the fallout for that for you personally and mentally. And you also, within months of that happening, did a cross-country move with your family. I can relate to doing that in a great time of trauma because I didn't get to say goodbye to my students. I went home after we had a baby and was locked down because of COVID and then just had to go and buy myself one night and pack up. So like, it's not the same situation as yours at all, but I can relate to like, just kind of up and leaving. So like, have you felt doing the work you're doing now, getting a fresh change of scenery, and it sounded like your family's all thriving so far in North Carolina, has there been healing or is that still a process? Get as personal or impersonal as you want with your response. Cause I get that that's a lot. Yeah, no. Um, I found healing through speaking out, honestly. Um, when when Glad asked me to pen an op-ed for Teacher Appreciation Week, uh, that was probably the first step into a long line of steps that I took to speak out. And one of the things that um, I also found shocking in this in this journey was that not a lot of teachers want to speak out. So when I when I met with the Today Show, for example. And we spoke, they were they were very um, eager to talk to me because we don't find that teachers speak out because they fear the repercussions of what they might face in their own communities, right? Yeah. But when that went down that specific week, everybody was talked to except me. My voice didn't come till the, if at all, the very end, right? Yeah. And And I didn't want to leave that space without telling my story. And so there was there was quite a bit of healing that was happening like in that space, I was able to write. And then that op-ed kind of jumped into um, some other media outlets that, you know, I was able to speak out on and, and kind of bolster it to a national platform, at least for a moment. I will say as a side note, you know, when the Today Show interviews you and then it posts it the day before you have to go for a university interview, it makes your university interview really super interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> every 30 minutes, somebody's asking you like, oh, are you that teacher? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that was what I was going to ask you next, because like, so (laughs) you were going through that interview process and obviously they selected you as the candidate because you're there now. Did you find that they were supportive and like you were doing good work? I mean, I would assume that's implicit because they hired you. But like, tell me about that side of it a little bit, because that's very interesting timing. Well, you know, I mean, moving across country, as I'm sure Gearheart, you know, like it's not a light decision to make. Right. So whenever whenever we got the offer and keep in mind, I'm unemployed at this point. So any offer is just fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Employment is good. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, that was that was a big drawing point out here to Wilmington was like, okay, just they have seen on a national level like what I have stood for, I have spoken out for, and they are willing to bring me in as a part of their community and they want me on their team. Like that to me meant a lot because it's not like it's something that I had to hide or be in shame or, you know, that, that was, it was very real. It's very, it was very authentic of just saying, this is where it is, take it or leave it. Yeah. And I'm sure Dr. Gearhart, you can understand, like, you don't want to make these moves if you don't feel like, it's the right position, you know? So, I mean, it was just kind of one of those moments like, okay, you're going to take me as I am. This is, this is what I've been through. Um, If I fast forward to like, currently I teach ELA methods for middle grades. Um, Last week was no week before was banned book week. And so up until then I hadn't really shared my story. And then it was that week we brought We came in because my students right now are, really kind of uncomfortable with the um, tension that exists between what they really want to do and how why they got into the program to be creative and thoughtful and critical thinkers and the study sync that they're observing right now in clinical hours. So they, we come in and then they're, you know, you see that they're kind of deflated and, you know, band book week and things. And, you know, and I just, I told him my story. I mean, I think that you could have heard a pin drop there for like a good wow. <laughs> 25, 30 minutes, but I wanted to ensure them that, you know, I'm not somebody who just spent a year or two in the classroom and then I've always been up in higher ed. Like I spent 20 years in the classroom right. and this is how I had to leave. But it's only because I'm here. I want you to be stronger and I'm going to here to to coach you to and champion you to be better than me. And And that's where I have really found healing to invest in that that mentor piece that our new teachers need we have to protect our profession we have to um rethink how we how we think about teacher education rethink what we think about that what teaching is and and the role of teachers and if i can play a small role in that in that piece i want to um, it's almost like giving permission that i had gone through you know no yeah it's i feel like you tell me if you felt like this too when i'm talking to the teaching candidates I work with, it's almost like giving them permission to like follow their own critical thinking and their own intuition about what's best for kids. They're like, I don't know if I can do like what? And usually it's just me asking, well, why not? Right. Okay, maybe you've got a point there and like, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we really have to ground this in humanity. We, we cannot let these, these, canned boxed programs take over <laughs> our profession. Right. Um, we, we have to keep infusing and offering these really great books that, that, you know, s- inspire empathy and you know, all the good things. I'm talking to a choir of people who are in agreement with me. I get it. But yeah, yeah, this is safe we, room right here. There's definitely a charge, right? Like there, there is, there is work to be done. 
Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. It's a good transition to the next question on our list, Emily. So go ahead. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, you don't always have to be agree with everyone. It's not about um, it's about learning about each other and recognizing that we're all different, have different opinions, but also, you know, learning. Um, and I was just wondering, in your own opinion, did um, do you think the classroom is more political than what it used to be? Um, I mean, based off of now, teachers are definitely at the bottom of the food chain. Um, and we can't get where we are without y'all guys, obviously. Um, but just from the curriculum to the school board and to, you know, all these rules and then the outside society with parents and, um, you know, these cultural views. Yeah. Do you just think it's more political than what it used to be? So I, you know, this is 110 percent the opinion of Sarah Bonner when I go off and I and I say this. So, um, you know, looking at a spectrum of, of 20 years of teaching in, in the ELA classroom, um, when I was a new teacher, there was definitely political things happening. <laughs> I just wasn't strong enough to acknowledge it because I was just trying to hold my head above water and trying to maintain a job. Um, I think, I mean, I think that to think of the classroom as an apolitical space is is ignorance. I think that um, our classrooms are reflection pools of what's happening in in our society. And um, it's inevitable that those things are going to come in. Uh, but what I will also say to that, too, having been in the field for, for so long, is that when I started teaching the access to, to books in terms of like what books are talking about right now, like if we peel back the layers of YA uh, fiction and nonfiction and what they're writing today versus what they wrote even you know, 10, 20 years ago, they're they're inviting um, of an over needed conversation. I mean, these books should have been written <laughs> back then, but they just weren't, but now they are. So now that they are, it's, it's that challenge of, okay, teachers, what are we going to do about it? Like it's, it's important to, to have those stories with, you know, the, the campaigns of diverse books, like, yes, yes, it's here. We don't have any excuses anymore. We, we need to incorporate that because that's what reflects in our society. And, um, you know, the, but the, the hard part about that is parents wanting a say in that space as well. And in my true heart of hearts, I really feel that learning has changed so much. Teaching has changed so much that our parents are starting to feel pushed to the side because they, they just want to understand. Being a parent myself, I can understand the frustration if I don't know what my kid is really studying or how they're presenting work. And I just want to know um, I, because I want to help with the conversation or I want to say like, that's one way of thinking it in our house. We think about it like this. You can choose to think like that. You know, I mean, they, 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 they grew up with, I mean, cause I'm thinking they, I'm thinking me, like, you know, a rote memorization, you know, like very, <laughs> you know, being direct instruction lecture like that, you know, that was the kind of, what well, was teaching and learning, but that doesn't mean that's the world we're in now. And that doesn't mean that that, those are strategies that our students need. And that disconnect right now is something that I know I'm really thinking about in terms of connecting with families um, or inviting families more into the 
into the conversation um, because I, I think they often get left out. And I don't know if that's fair. You know, uh, if, if you're going to be angry, it's because that you know what's going on. A, a lot of the, the anger is because they don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really long winded answer. Like, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think that it's always been, but it's just it's different. And because right, like there's there's a little bit more of that factor into it now. Yeah. And I wanted your opinion. I totally wanted to hear what you believe and how, you know, the school system should be structured, the classroom itself and how parents can be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also wondering how the school board itself in Illinois um, protected you. Did they protect you? Like, do you feel as they they protected you? And I know, like, you don't have to, like, go into detail or not, but in your own opinion, well, I, can I follow up before you even answer oh, yeah. when yeah. you had the would we call it a hearing or did you have a voice in that conversation or was it more just they voted and that was it? Like, could you take us into that board meeting that was called sure. about you and just tell us that story a little bit? So um, I that night will always replay in my mind, I think, um, for as long as my memory will keep working. And um, so I it was a it was a public hearing just to or a, a public meeting to vote to accept my resignation and settlement is basically what it was. And a side note, what was really funny when I met with union representation, like at a regional level, they're like, Sarah, usually when teachers come and sit down with us, they've actually done something wrong. And like you, you haven't done anything wrong. So name your terms, which was really fun because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Here's my list. Right. Like, cause I, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. And, um, so anyway, I that night I I asked to I, I did not feel comfortable for my safety um, because they had an officer there escorting me um, on campus. Uh, so I had to go into the back office. I didn't feel comfortable being out in the public specter of the, like the commentary piece. Um, but I had friends that were there, allies that were there. You know, we talked about Robin, our dissertation um, chair. She was there. She's texting me like play by plays of like what's being said oh in the moment. But I'm kind of tucked away in the unit office, like not being seen with a with a police officer guarding my door. Um, and then those that could come in, like administrators, um, tech support people, um, even a, a janitor, you know, they came back, they gave me hugs. They knew that they wouldn't see me again, you know, and all of it was like, we're so sorry that this has happened to you. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of tears because they just, they felt it was unfair. You know, they, they knew that this was unjust. I had requested a, a private meeting with the board at the time. So when they, when they reconvened back to like private, like, um, where they do most of like their voting type things. If it's close, close session, that's the closed word. Session. I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah. yeah. So when they're back in closed session, I, um, I requested time with them because I did want to give a statement because up until then they had, nobody had talked to me. I had to go into a fact finding meeting, but ad, administration board members, nobody talked to me. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knew my, knew what was going on. And so a lot of that statement was really, um, I, I took a lot of that statement and put it into my opt-ed, honestly. <laughs> but a lot of that statement was, um, you know, don't forget all the good I did for this district 
And, you know, I talked about all the community work I did with kids for 15 years. And, and I said, please do not give up on innovation. You know, like I, I begged the board to like, do not close doors to new ideas because now, you know, if you're afraid like that, don't let them win is really what I was kind of saying in my messaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, it was tough, you know, and, and you know, of course I put Ted Lasso in my, in my speech. Hell yeah. I, had to, I had to throw Ted Lasso in there to remind us to not be judgmental, but to be curious. And, you know, I hope that you do better with your other teachers because I didn't feel supported at the time. Um, and I, I will say like, you couldn't see a dry eye around at the table. Um, you know, that it was, it was tough to see them. Two parents, two parents were sitting <laughs> around that table, you know, parents that were, you know, the kids I had that year in that class, you know, they, they felt it. Even one board member that you just thought, man, like, I know that he cusses my name out on a regular basis. He's the sobbing the most, you know, like he, um, just to feel the unfairness of what's happened. Um, because I think in, in lots of ways, admin and the board, they were just going to think that I was just going to come back after paid leave. Like I, I honestly felt like that's, they didn't in, anticipate me leaving. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what it came down to like, Oh shit, we're losing a really good person here. Yeah. And now what <laughs> did they say anything like parting word? I mean, we know how the vote went. It was your resignation. You, you chose it was better to leave. And I agree with your decision and I support it. Did they say anything to you? Did the board communicate any sort of positive sentiment at the end of it? Or what, what was that like before we all stepped away from that table? Um, you know, I think the, it was, it was tough. The board president, especially I was, I was especially close with his two kids Okay, and he was very supportive of the things that, you know, I had done over the years with inquiry and, you know, the books that we had read. And I mean, he was such a champion for my classroom itself. You know, I, he didn't say anything, but he said something with the ability not to, to talk. Like he just, as a man, he was just welling up and he's like, I just, I can't say anything. Okay. Right now, he gave me a hug and then like that. And then when they went into like public session again. So it was just, I don't know, you, you knew that, you know, you knew it had been wronged. Like I had been wronged. Like they knew that. Yeah. But they, they was just a, it was just something that they couldn't stop. And it got into this point. And then were you escorted back to your vehicle at that point by the officer? So at that point, um, everybody who wanted to say something or, you know, felt like they needed to say something was gone at that point because they knew that the vote was going to go the way it was going to go. Um, so when they went back to public session and they were going to vote to accept, I did walk back in with the officer because at, at that point, everything had kind of cleared out. It was just formalities at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would, did feel was really interesting. The vote happened. The gavel dropped. I mean, it, it happened within five minutes and then everything was over. Um, the same conservative radio station was there covering the events and the um, reporter um, was probably like the age of my eighth graders. He was a young kid, like came running over to me and um, to the credit of the regional union representation that was that was next to me. Um, ben stepped like his physical body, like stepped between us. And, you know, and he just he she will not be talking to you, you know, like just protected I love that. Yeah. 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 
do you are you comfortable sharing this is my last thing and then mary's got a couple questions to close us out was robin still there at that point or did she have to head out too no we we hung out and went and had beer and cheeseburgers afterwards because it was just that kind of night <laughs> so i mean you know how much i admire robin seglum she's been a mentor to me for several years in you at this point obviously and y'all have written a lot together what was her like talk to me about that conversation a little bit because that's she i imagine she had words of wisdom she's one of the best people i know uh yeah so you know back to that friday when i had been notified of the police report um you know, I that was about three thirty. I had to drive home, which was, you know, from school to, to home door to door was probably around 20, 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I called Michael, you know, my partner and, you know, we we talk about it. But she's also like number two, like yeah. I get hang up with him. I call her and yeah. she's uh, ironically, they she said she's like, you have to leave. <laughs> like That was her yeah. first like initial yeah. response you have to leave and I was like and at first both hearing it from him and her like leaving isn't easy right like I'm giving up you know I, I have a son you know like I, I've got I've got health issues like I can't just walk away from from this but then at the same time like can I should I yeah yeah I, I probably need to like and then you know I mean then it starts to sink in and then you make the decision and you know, you stand next to it. And so I, I think in Robin's eyes, you know, one of the things that she told me afterwards, she's like, it's just, she said, you're the bravest person I know. She yeah. said, you know, for walking away like that, which you should have. Um, but then also like then rolling into some of that media, like speaking out in the media terms, because that's a hefty boulder in and of itself, you know, when you invite that noise into your life. Um, but it just, it I could do it because I had support of those really important people. I knew the people I have in my life, the, the friends I have in this space so, will support me, you know? Um, yeah, that, that's why, that's why I did what I did. Just give us, give us a little bit about what you were hearing from students and other families at that time. Sure. Um, so I'll start with families. Um, you know, I, I was very fortunate to hear, um, from quite a few families that just, you know, even just quick notes of, you know, Mrs. Bonner, we support you or Mrs. Bonner, we love you. You know, like they just, you know, regardless of this outcome, just know that, you know, we're thinking of you during this time. Um, what I ended up finding out later, like after I left, um, and some time had gone and like, you know, fourth quarter still has to continue because unfortunately, and I would say fault of the administration is that kids walked in Monday and I mean, picture a completely torn down classroom. It's completely empty and they have no idea that I've left. And you said that was a lot of their safe space on top of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, Yeah. So like that Friday, I remember I had two students in particular. They hung out before going to lunch and they're like, "Uh, Miss Bonner, we're really worried about you. We're worried what's going to happen to you. And at the time, I mean, keep in mind, I didn't I didn't know about the police report. You know, like I, yeah, I'm just going to go to that fact finding meeting. We're going to go on spring break was the next week. You know, it it was going to be fine. You know, like it it was not nothing. 
I mean, Gearheart, you understand, you know, the, the longer you're in this game, the more you deal with parents, like the thicker yep. the skin you get, like all in my mind at the time, we were going to meet around a table. We're going to talk it through and we're going to be fine. You know, yeah. we may walk away still disagreeing with each other, but it's going to be amicable to move forward because there's kids involved. Honestly, that's where I was. Right. And, um, but I kind of, you know, come to find out like later after I left, like you can imagine that was really hard on kids, like some more than others. When they came back to the classroom, I'm not there. They're given a sub for a week. They have to do common lit, which I think is hilarious given the stuff I used to do. And now they have to do this stuff yeah. like this is. And then, I mean, kids are just it's not it's not hilarious for the kids because obviously they're just super mad, super confused, super emotional. And this is what we're left with because they can't think of anything else to do. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I heard later that our social worker had to develop a support group um, because there were there was a group of girls um, to especially identify in the LGBTQ community. Like, how am I supposed to feel safe um, moving forward? And it wasn't necessarily about me, but it was about how the community reacted to the book, like a choice book, like it's almost unearthing how the community feels about that, the LGBTQ plus community, you know what I'm saying? Like the, they're seeing how people feel in real time. And, and so like a mixture of that was, was really tough for some of our, our kids. And they had a lunch group that met a couple days a week to kind of work through like me being gone. And then also, you know, their community, not seeing them for who they are or not, valuing them for who they are. Um, and that I will tell you, like, that's probably one of the pieces that hurts my heart the most because I hated to know that this transpired and then my leaving caused this. I mean, I, I ultimately had to do what was best for me, for my family. Like I'm not regretting the, the leaving by any means, but I, I hate that that had, that had to be put on our kids because so much of it could have been avoided. <laughs> like, you know, parents who, who speak out in, in angst like this, they don't understand the ripple effects of something like this. And um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was a piece that hurt my heart quite a bit. Um, but they're, you know, they're in high school, you know, we've moved on, you know, there's, there's, I guess, I don't know, everything moves on, but. I can't say it's the same or it's better or anything, but we're moving on. Right. Well, and what we can do now is still get, you know, tell the story, tell what happened and try to learn from it and do better and be better, like you said, in regards to the school board before. Um, okay. So uh, I was wondering now, are you, are you now happy with your decision to leave the classroom after about 20 years? I know it was a hard decision in the moment and came so abruptly, but are you happy with that decision now? Uh, and do you believe leaving so abruptly sent a positive or negative message to not only those in the school system, but those in town? So I think it's it's complicated to think about, you know, new chapters and leaving the classroom. Um, am, am I happy that I got out of what I had to endure? Yes. You know, um, but I will say in order to be this established person, like, I mean, I had worked so hard 
in a community that resisted. And I was able to do these really cool things with a lot of autonomy and a lot of resources and to have it all kind of fall out was, um, you know, I had to kind of mourn that a little bit <laughs> because that was a lot of, that was 15 years worth of work to like get up to that point. Yeah. Um, I said, so, you know, and I, there, there were lots of little things that I think kind of caught up to me over the summer. Like this was the first year I didn't have to put a classroom together in August. You know, this was the, this is the first year I didn't have to buy school supplies for my students. Um, I catch myself still buying like YA books on Amazon because what I would do is just like, Oh, I want to read that. And I'm going to go throw it in my, my shelf of my classroom. But Michael's like, what the hell are you going to do with these books? You're not in the classroom. books. <laughs> <laughs> so you know like hard, habits are hard to break <laughs> um you know but i do i do genuinely miss kids like i i so geek out on design and doing like really cool meaningful stuff like with kids um that i i won't necessarily get back in in this role yet so like I, I i say yet because i will have chances to hopefully um just like how robin did with with gearheart and i like maybe to get in those spaces where i get to be in that classroom and you know work with kids through with that teacher you know and then and, and do things and design things but not be in the everydayness of the bureaucratic strings of the school system. Like maybe I get to have the fun, but not all the, the stress, right? Like that's what I'm looking forward to on the horizon. Um, but I would say like one of the most interesting questions in today's show especially asked me and said, well, now that you're leaving education, you know, what are you going to do next? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I'm not <laughs> leaving. <laughs> in fact, I mean, I'm, I'm opposite. I'm I, this, this fuels a fire that needs to keep going. So uh, there is a little bit of mourning of like, yeah, I'm not going to be with classes of kids anymore and I'm not going to have those family connections anymore. But I'm excited because if I can if I can work with teachers, like think of how many kids that can impact. Yep. And um, so I'm really fueled by by that. And I will also say, too, for me, change is really hard. And I think I don't want to be the the cliche of things happen for a reason, but I, I feel like I needed my ass kicked a little bit to I was I was finishing up my dissertation. You know, I'd gotten real comfortable with my with my adjunct job that I had at ISU. I was I was rolling. Right. I had this this bank happening like I was working all these jobs. It's, it wasn't sustaining, not healthy. I don't recommend it, you know, like but because it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> but, you know, like I I was able to pick my student teachers because I had them in class. Like I had this like really great system going on for like eight or nine years. And but having this like. You know, I've been I've been living in a state of like being uncomfortable, like because I I'm I'm in a space. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I haven't felt like that in a long time being a, a like an experienced teacher. Um, so, I mean, there's things that are comfortable because of like the methods class. Right. Like I, I know ELA like I can I can talk about that all day long. But like, you know, I just I went for like my review just last week where I sat with my department chair and like talked about all these like research goals and things. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. I don't know what's going on, you know, so I, but I, it's good. It, it, it's good for me. I'm embracing being uncomfortable. And I can tell you that that 
I don't I, you'll have to tell me in a couple of years if you feel I feel imposter syndrome still. And I'm All in year time. four of doing this full time now. But I will say <laughs> what's been fun about coming to a completely different region of the country is looking around for a bit and asking questions that other people may not be asking because they're yes. more insulated in that system. And that's been fun. And it's made the work really interesting. Um so that's just something I can share with you from my experience that I hope you yeah. get a sense of that as well. Yes. No, absolutely. I can relate to that a thousand percent. Yeah. And honestly, I hope I never lose it. If to, No, if yeah, gonna, it's like it's, I hope I don't lose it. It's really valuable and it, it 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 informs a lot of the work I do each day. And it mm-hmm. sounds like it does for you. Mary's got the last question. And then I want to actually tell a story about Dr. Bonner before we wrap up. But oh, my God, it's a good it's it's it's, it's all happy. I promise. I promise. All right. So my last question, um, as someone that is studying elementary education, do you have any advice for future educators as we navigate these current issues in the classrooms? So, um, so much. We just don't have a lot of time, Mary. Uh, so, so much. Uh, (laughs) I'll take anything. (laughs) Here's, here's what I will, if I had to like pinpoint something, um, and, and maybe this is because I am just coming fresh off my dissertation work, which I did. Um, I started collecting data in the middle of a pandemic. I don't re- recommend that. But what I do think um, happened as a, as a positive of that is that as I was working with teacher focus groups, like, and then we shut down, you know, schools closed. I had thought, hell, this is it. Like, this is going to put the nail in the coffin of my data. I'm not going to get anything until they come back to school. But in fact, it was actually the opposite. Like teachers wanted to meet more regularly, more often. We ended up meeting on Sundays because, well, weekends didn't matter. Every day was a weekend, you know? So Sunday morning we grab our coffee and one of the partners of our teacher group called us teacher church, like, oh, you going to teacher church? So it kind of stuck with us. And um, one of the things that, and where I'm getting with this, Amiri, is, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did without my teacher community. Like you, this is not a profession that you, that needs to be done alone. Like you have to find your people. You have to find the community that will support you, challenge you, push you, um, champion you. Like you, you have to find that. And whether that's in the building that you choose to teach in, which is, would be amazing. Um, mine weren't. Mine, mine were, you know, this kind of motley crew clubhouse of teachers of all types of in the area that we were in of all different types of contents and everything. We just kind of came together because we were like minded, Um, but we were we weren't afraid to push each other. The more comfortable we got, you know, in that space. And I mean, I we processed the murder of George Floyd in that time. You know, I mean, like I we did that. Uh, together and may you not have the worldly events <laughs> that I, you know, I had with teachers. But um, I don't think the world's slowing down anytime either. You're going to need to find people to help you, like really think through. So I mean, like, there's tons of other things that I could say um, for advice, but that would be the biggest thing because we think, I, at least for me, when I started, um, that vulnerability to ask for help or to share or to find support. I mean, that was, that was kind of a lockbox for me for a while. And, um, you, you have to realize that you are not alone. Like we have to do this together. That is excellent. Thank you, Thank you for, for sharing. And you and I have talked about that before. So I'm just sitting here nodding like, yes, yeah. yes. 
Um, so I'll wrap up with a story if, if the group doesn't mind. So I first met Sarah in 2016. It was I started the doc program that summer at Illinois State. I took a full full load schedule that summer because I had a baby coming in the fall and I wanted to try and get as much done as I could, you know, hit the ground running, as it were. And I the one in person class I had that summer was Tom Crumpler's conceptual framework class it was 575. I remember the course number still. And I walk into this room of I had no business being in that class at that point. That's something most folks take like right before comp exams and starting their dissertation work. And I took it like my first class. I don't know why. And I remember going to that room and it was a lot of folks that had been in the program for a minute, knew what they wanted to research, felt like they had really strong research methodology knowledge. And I just felt like such an imposter. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, speaking up in class. And I remember walking back from the first class to my car, or I was walking into class, one of the one of the first ones that week. And you were like, hey, I'm Sarah. Like, what's your name? And like, is this your first class? Oh, cool. Let me, you know, where do you teach? And I remember like debriefing after class sometimes you're like listen like some of these people are just talking out of their ass don't get intimidated <laughs> things like that and they I, were that, they all do and they were and a bunch of those people i know i graduated before they did um you don't you i don't even know if gearhart sleeps honestly have you checked if he's like a robot of sorts like because so i funny still enough i i crashed yeah. hard last night yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll, I can tell you more about the work. Cryogenically created by the government for good. Like, I think that there's something that's there. Just a lot him. of coffee. Just a lot of coffee. <laughs> but I remember just like, I don't think we ever had another class together after that. I think that might have been the only one. Just, I don't you know. You went damn fast. Like, I was just one at a time. <laughs> I had these eight other jobs I had to do. Well, our research interests were also, slight, so like, I think we were taking some of the, some different classes or whatever. We ended up with the same dissertation committee funnily enough but we never lost touch as much as i say i wish i would have been in touch with you more this spring um but she's a reason that i felt like confident enough to be like no i do belong here and i at least have one person that's a peer in my corner and so i just wanted to share that story i don't know throughout this current season of the podcast we have heard stories about how the current socio-political discourse intersects with the work of teaching and learning, how educators are being asked to teach as if the contexts in which their students learn are apolitical or sterilized of diversity, incognizant of ongoing social injustices. Sarah is one of the finest educators and human beings I know, and I am grateful for her friendship. Her bravery and unwavering resolve to be authentic, to truly show up for her students, to design a safe and caring learning environment is what I would want from anyone who served as a teacher to one of my kids. What Sarah seeks to instill in the pre-service teaching candidates she works with in her current role as a teacher educator. I want to thank Sarah for sharing her narrative on this podcast. In the episode description, I have shared a link to the article Sarah wrote for GLAAD titled LGBTQ Inclusive Content Supports All of My Students. This episode concludes Season 7 of the Journeys of Teaching podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so new episodes from Season 8 will go straight to your feed upon release. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.